Hello, hello. This is the reality of reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today on the podcast, I have got kick-ass producer Eric Evangelista. He is the co-founder of Hot Snakes Media, best known for creating the hit shows Amish Mafia and Breaking Amish, Return to Amish, pretty much anything Amish. Eric has done it. Those shows essentially created a new genre, and we'll talk all about that. Eric's a passionate producer. He gets his hands dirty every single day and is expanding the company into digital and scripted. They've got even an exciting Lifetime movie coming up as well. Eric and his wife, Shannon, own Hot Snakes Media together, and we talk about how the hell a married couple can work side by side every day because I do not know how they do it. Welcome. Thank you. Have you ever done a podcast before, Eric? No, 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 I haven't. Oh, my God. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. I feel like um, you are one of those people I met probably a year ago. I feel like I met you a year ago at Real Screen, right, with Sarah? Yeah, we all went to dinner. There were a bunch of people oh, yes. in, in the industry that all went to dinner at um, one of the- The Persian restaurants. Yeah. Where you yeah. walk away needing, like, a feedback. If you leave take-home <laughs> food- from like shimsheree in the back of your car, it's in the next day. It smells like someone has defecated in your car. Get, but the food is delicious. No, to sell. But it's and yeah, you have to really keep the windows open. Oh god. Yeah. It's one of my many lessons I'm learning. Yeah. So we met a year ago. Yeah. And what yeah. I didn't know about you, which was another thing that bonds us, is that you started in news. I started in news. Heavy duty. When I was um, 18 years old, I started at the Boston Herald, which is a newspaper, which was owned by Rupert Murdoch at the time. Um, and that was 1990. And I started there as what was called then a copy boy. Now it's called editorial assistant. And I worked my way up to getting a byline in the newspaper in the sports section, um, like a weekly byline that I would go out and do reporting and stuff like that. Um, I, You know, because when you grow up in Boston, where I grew up, there's nowhere to... Uh, there's no outlet. It's not like growing up in New York or L.A. where you can go and get an internship or figure out what you want to do. Like, I grew up in Boston. Um, my family's from Italy. Like, we not, no, nobody knows anybody. And so, like, you always like to write and love, love sports? Television. I always loved television. Okay. Period. Like, <laughs> that is all I did because my parents worked every day, and when you come home, television's like your babysitter. So I've seen every episode of Taxi. I've seen every episode of All in the Family. I've seen, you know, any show that was on in the 80s, I was watching, or even was on in syndication back then, game shows, whatever it was. So I have been watching television, you know, since maybe the age of two, you know, like <laughs> right. so that I can, re I remember, you know, it made a big, big influence on me. So the reason I got a job at the Boston Herald is, well, that's as close to television as I could, you know, I just wanted to get in and do something, you know? It was like, media. Something, <laughs> right. you know, it was something. It wasn't a love of writing or news or anything like that. It's just like, that's, well, in Boston, they have that. So then I got a job at the 24-hour news channel there, and when I was 19, and then won a local Emmy Award when I was 19, um, there and won three straight after that. Producing. Producing. Writing and producing. Uh, and 12 and Associated Press Awards. So I had like a lot of amazing. success because I was so hungry to do it. Yeah. And, and we haven't, you're my first sort of news person on and, and it's such a different world. And I actually even just said to my husband the other night, I don't know, we were, I think CNN was on or something was on. And I said like, you'd literally have to pay me $17 million a day to go back into news for the ulcer that I 
got from producing live news every day. Where did you work? I went. I started in Bangor, Maine, oh. and then I went to Baltimore, and then I went to New York. Were you so a producer? I, I, was, I was producer. I did some on-air stuff in my in Bangor, which I always say, you know, if we're really drunk, I'll show you the tapes. But um, but it was, you know, it's you're on at six, whether you're ready or not. And and you know the good news is you're also off at six thirty and you can go home and you don't have any homework normally. But that's a really it's a grind. I hire a lot of people from news in reality TV because they know deadlines and they know right. how to hustle. So my production managers, my those will all be news guys that worked on the assignment desk, guys who can handle stuff. Yeah. Okay. And then a lot of times you'll interview producers who say they you know they come from news, but they really don't. <laughs> they come from like a news magazine format where their job was to interview you know do two interviews a day. With a full lighting crew and things right. like that, like that is technically news, but Not news, news is you know here's 15 minutes crash a package, here's 15 minutes crash a package, and um, you know get it on the air. And it's crazy. Would you ever yeah. go back? Like, was there enough money? Was there enough money in the world for you to go back? No, not compared to now. <laughs> right. But um, no. Did I you wouldn't. like it? I did 14 years. Wow. Yeah, so it's like time. <laughs> I yeah, did 14 that years was in that enough. Slammer. And I all and, and towards <laughs> the end of those 14 years, I was at ABC News in New York, and I had worked there just so I could start pitching reality shows, or you know, uh, being a comedy writer or something that I wanted to do. Yeah, and I was kind of paying the bills by working at ABC News, um, right. and I was in the Writers Guild there, and it was a great paying job, and the people were really nice and all that stuff. But was that Peter Jennings era? Was he? Dead. Yeah, he was there, and I worked mostly with like the affiliates and things like that, and field producing and um, sports and all kinds of yeah. stuff. So anyway, um, that the goal was always, how do I get into television? Like not news, but <laughs> entertainment. Fun television. How do I get into entertainment? Because I had always, since I was a little kid, been creating shows in my head. You know. Um, like what, like cartoons when you were little or real anything shows? like or, or always like giving notes in my head. Like I look back on it and <laughs> thinking like, oh, they should do this or they should do that. Or, you know, like you always because I loved television, you know, that much. It was an episode of of Taxi um, where Jim Ignatowski. I don't know. Did you ever watch Taxi? Yeah. I, I, we grew up, I think, in the same era. Yeah, I okay. like all these shows. So Jim Ignatowski uh, picks up a guy in his cab who works at, I think, CBS and he is a programmer, and he's down on his luck, and he can't figure out how to program his schedule, and he brings Jim, the crazy drug addict guy, in, and Jim makes all these crazy changes on the schedule. He puts game shows on at 9 o'clock at night, which was a crazy idea back in the 80s, right? <laughs> right. So, and it all of a sudden had a big success, and Jim became a hero and, and whatever. I loved that episode, and it, it really occurred to me after watching that episode, well, yeah, I can do this. Two, you know, like, right. you know, that's unrealistic. <laughs> Hello, but I'm in three the years eyes, old. <laughs> in the eyes of like a 12-year-old kid, like, right. you know, yeah. So that was always the goal when I worked in news was to get to the point where you could uh, produce and execute and create your own shows. Yeah, and I, I found that there was no, back in our day, there was no clear path. It wasn't like... You know, reality, I mean, I don't know the time frame exactly, but reality had, it wasn't now where it's like, well, I could just work on a reality show. Then it was like, I knew I didn't want to be in news and I knew it was sort of doc maybe more, but what was the bridge? Like my bridge was a news magazine show, which then got me to like news and docs of VH1. So it was like, I sort of fell, you know, in a good way into entertainment, but nobody in news knew entertainment. I mean, it was, it was night and day. Right? Did you find the same thing? Like, did you see the path there? No. The path <laughs> became very thin. So when I was in Boston, I had a lot of success. And, you know, at a young age, 
and I was doing a really good job as an executive producer there when I was, you know, 23 years old, 24 years old, um, and decided to move to New York to get a job at ABC News and to kind of pursue my dream of trying to get a television show. And I showed up at ABC News. My friend who said he was going to give me a job said, yeah, it's 150 bucks a day and you're a PA. And I'm like, oh, well, holy shit. Um, yeah, and you have been running shows, you know, telling 60-year-old right. men what to do. Right. I had the exact same experience. And yeah. then you're getting coffee. And it's right. like, what was start I was over. writing. Yeah, I mean, because it's, it's a different kind of experience. Yeah, you had to start over. So then um, you had to prove yourself again. And right. Then about, oh, so then by sure that. that was t- a quick ascent for you, though. Right. I mean, I'm sure they saw pretty quickly what you could do. Yeah. It, well, yeah, it went it went well. Um, but again, that really wasn't the goal. So I had, um, <laughs> you know, made a tape and uh, to pitch myself, I put myself on camera as a producer and saying, like, here's some of my ideas that I've done in the past and blah, 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 blah. So this guy sees a tape, his agent, and he starts sending me out on hosting auditions. And I'm like, I and this was during the time in the early 2000s where. Um, those trading spaces and all I know, of those. I saw your tape. Do you remember this? You're no. looking at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. It was around 2002, and we were casting for a show called 48 Hour Wedding at Banyan Productions, and we were looking for a host, and we saw, I think we really liked you. I auditioned at Banyan. Yes, you came and, in. Yeah. I remember this. Yeah, I didn't get that job, but that's okay. I would have hired you. Thank you. Um, so, I was, so, so you know, again, so I was going on all these host auditions right. for these home renovation shows, which I, I didn't know anything about. I had no <laughs> idea, you know, so it's ridiculous. And, and I never booked anything in four years. And I said finally to the agent, I was like, you know, I have some, you know, other ideas. Maybe you could connect me with some people. So then things started taking off and uh, sold the show to AMC through another production company and then um, I landed a job um, in Los Angeles, show running a show for Fox called Pet Plastic Surgery. It was a special. It was a great show. Okay, pause here. Mm-hmm. What pet? Seriously, I had n- I've never heard of pets having plastic surgery. Well, this it's <laughs> only a, in LA. <laughs> it's a salacious title, but it's not. It was to save okay. the pet's life. So if you have like a droopy eyed dog that's going blind because its skin's going in its eyes, so they give it an eye lift. There was a duck who lost its beak, and we gave it a new, it was like a nose job, so they gave it a new beak so it could eat. Um, there was um, a lizard that needed liposuction, which was actually just an infection, but like we made it I sound. Hope you're gonna do, I hope you're seeing the obvious show right now, which is botched pets, right? <laughs> right I mean, yeah. do I have to go give it to Evolution? So, so, um, <laughs> so I did that, and then stayed in L.A., created a bunch of shows, um, and partnered with all all these production companies, Ashton Kutcher and all these other places. And, you know, I would notice that, you know, I would create the shows, develop the shows, hand them off to someone. And they, they, you know, they weren't, they, they didn't do what I thought. I had created this, the, the, the kind of the, the last straw of that was I'd created this great format for a game show. And it was a variety game show. Uh, it was called Telethon. And it was a telethon for people who didn't have a sickness or anything, but they just needed like a nose job or laser eye surgery or they crashed their dad's car. And America would vote and who they felt was. And I it said, was like early crowdfunding, basically. Right. This was like 2005. Nice. And I said, um, you know, I said, you know, we should really hire Billy Idol to be the host. Because <laughs> he'd be great. You know, he can sing. <laughs> and, you know, he's great. You know, he could just host a telethon. Nice. 
And they came back like a couple of months later and said, well, we really think that Wink Martindale would be a, a better host. And I'm like, well, that kind of changes the whole idea. So I... Because <laughs> yours was kind of tongue-in-cheek. Like you sort of... It was campy. Yeah. yeah. And Billy Idol would have that tone, whereas Wink Martindale would do it as a game show host. Right. So then I landed a job at End of All, which was great. Wait, did that show ever get made? No, it was a pilot. Okay. It was Wink Martindale. And Wink Martindale actually hosted it. Mm-hmm. Very nice man. <laughs> was it nothing like what you wanted it to be? Nowhere near. Right. Yeah. So then I was like, well, I have to start just, um, you know, that was the first push where I said, like, you know, I know how to produce. I know how to do things. And I have to, I'm able to do these kinds of things. And I need to kind of do it myself. So I landed a job at Endemol um, back in 2007 um, as an executive producer. Uh, an overall deal where you had to pitch network level ideas every two weeks, which was great, and it was very, very challenging. And around us, around me, in the door, the next door to me is Joe Lebecki, who's Joe, a, who I love also. He was uh, exec at CMT, and it's yeah. just a really smart. Great he has guy. a series coming up for F- FYI now. He's a great producer. Oh, good. Uh, Mike Nichols, who works at Pilgrim now, another great producer. Scott St. John, who's a legendary game show producer. And Matt Kunitz, who's an amazing producer. So it was a really good team yeah. ever since all of us left there. I mean, there's we've had a lot of success. Yeah. And it was a really good team. But the 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 what it taught me was how to create ideas constantly and how to always be thinking of ideas because you were held accountable every two weeks. You had to come to um, a meeting and pitch your ideas, at least two or three ideas, and they couldn't just be lousy derivative ideas you had to this was endemol at the time it was the biggest production company in the world deal or no deal one versus a hundred that huge shows fear factor you know you had to come with the goods you can't you write know. some hacky not fleshed out pitch it had to be not only that you can't come with a cable pitch wow like, like shiny floor big game or whatever big format every two weeks you have to come in with something that possibly could be a game-changing kind of situation and how m- Every two weeks, how many ideas did you have to come up with? Three, two or three. Right, which is kind of a lot given what you just told me. To have if you come good. in with two, you feel like you have good ideas. If you come in with three, you know they all stink. <laughs> right? right? Yeah. So it's like that kind of. And so what were, so how, I mean, I'm, you don't know the percentages, but how many of those ideas, at least from you, became anything? Uh, one. <laughs> and how long? And how long a time? <laughs> in like two years, a year and a half. This is the thing people don't realize. It's mm. fucking hard. Very. Very hard. No, had we been able to pitch the cable, that would have been, you know, much right. We would have sold. And why wouldn't they? Just because of the economics of it, or they just weren't in the cable world. I think it was the economics or the international rights or something. Okay, of that got nature. it. Because they yeah. couldn't own it. Right. So, which was the one that got through? I had um, got a pilot through. Um, that again, <laughs> this got changed. That was um, it was called Prank Star, and it was Good kind name. of like Last Comic Standing for. Um, people who aren't comedians. So the Johnny Knoxvilles of the world, the Tom Greens of the world, the yeah. Adam Sandlers of the world, people who broke through who weren't really, you know. So um, they uh, eventually changed the title of it and it kind of got watered down and, and whatnot, but it, you know, it, it never it, it never went. So then I moved back to New York. Because why? I mean, why wouldn't you have stayed in L.A.? My wife, uh, Shannon, who owns the company with me, yeah. Um, was a uh, landed a job at the narcotic. She's a prosecutor in, in in the Manhattan DA's office in the narcotics division. So, um, so she landed a job there, and then I moved back to New York with her, and that's when I started Hot Snakes Media. So, okay, backing up for a second. So Shannon was when she 
when did you guys meet? Did she move to L.A. with you or you met her in L.A.? Shannon moved to, New- to L.A. with me, and she was working at the Orange County DA's office as a prosecutor. Right. And did she just think TV was crazy? I mean, it's just funny she ended up running the company with you. Like, she was, you know, went to law school and became a successful DA. Was she, was it very sort of church and state? Like, you guys had nothing, or was she always sort of involved with what you were doing on she the side? always involved, because she's very smart and she's a good writer. Yeah. And then I was involved in her stuff, too, because <laughs> in, when, especially in California, because the police are recorded, so you, someone needs to transcribe that. So I would transcribe all that for her trials, you know? Like, That's I would so be like, funny. yeah, yeah. Uh, and I like, you know, I would show up to her trials and be a big fan of support, and, and yeah. she would help me rewrite my treatments, and she was really good. And she's, to this now, currently, um, an amazing producer, an amazing showrunner, and just a, a, a huge, I wouldn't have any success in my company if it weren't for her. So she's Aww. like a huge, no, she is, she's like, <laughs> she's like a, a monster when it comes to interviewing people. So on our first show... Right, it's probably like an interrogation. Right, like being on trial, <laughs> like right? She knows all the right ways to get the answers. Right, and or if you're in a room with a network executive who's <laughs> asking you some very tough questions, who normally I would crumble under some of right. those questions. <laughs> Objection! She's, she's right there and can answer, and she keeps her cool, and she's yeah. got a real... Yeah. So we're, we're uh, the, the way I found out how good she was as a showrunner was I was doing this show called Operation Osmond for Sarah, at uh, Sarah Ospitz at Nouveau TV, and I was doing this interview, and the interview was going poorly, and Shannon said, let me step in and do it. And all of a sudden, five minutes later, this interview, she's, the, the interviewee's crying. And <laughs> You're like, I'm out. Yeah, I'm like, well, she was great. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. was that, at that point, had Shannon, she had already been in the company. It when I like... started, when I sold my first show, yeah. Shannon then joined me. Okay, got yeah. it. So let's get to that. So, when you had to leave L.A. for New York for Shannon's job at that point, were you bummed to leave? Were you excited to get the hell out? Like, where was your mindset in terms of I, your career? I love the East Coast. So okay. I was excited <laughs> You're to like, come back. thank you, Lord. Yeah. Okay, so you move back. Shannon starts her job in the DA's office. And what do you do now? I um, start thinking of how I can sell my own ideas and how I can fund my own tapes and... Um, put together a little budget for myself that dwindled down to very little money. <laughs> and I sold this show called Operation Osmond to Nouveau TV. Okay, so that show was a weight loss show, right? It was a weight loss show. Host, uh, the, the host of the show was uh, this guy named Osmond, who is from Cuba. And a lot of people say, you know, I, I work with crazy talent. <laughs> Osman lived in a lunatic asylum, in an insane asylum. So, like a real one. Yeah, like he was clinically insane. <laughs> oh I didn't know that. Yeah, like so. I always say, like you know, the host is crazy, and they're like, yeah, right. Like, I know, like no, 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 no. He's like legitimately straight jacket has, crazy. He's like bipolar, and he <laughs> oh takes medicine, and you know. But he was an expert trainer. He he trained Matt Damon and Gloria Stefan and Mickey Rourke and all these big celebrities, right? So he knew how to train people. He was just insane, which made for a great show. Yeah. It was a great show, and it did really well for them, and I did 23 episodes of it. Yeah. How did you find him? I found him. I was doing casting for another company in Miami, Okay, and I was casting some sort of female ensemble show. And this guy, Osmond, just kind of stumbles up and starts talking to me and telling me these stories. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And uh, I uh, I said, well, let's meet. He wants to meet up later for dinner. So I said, ah, let's meet. So he, I go to his apartment to to get him. It's it's the insane asylum. And <laughs> the, 
So he checks out of the insane asylum. <laughs> like he just kind of willingly lives there. Like in wow. and yeah, it was really strange. That's craziness. And so you were hot snakes at that point, or you're like, okay, I'm gonna call my. This is my company now. That's kind of mm-hmm. how it happens, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Sarah Osbitz buys the show, and the budget was like a dollar fifty. Seventy-four thousand dollars an hour. <laughs> right. Um, how did you do it? Like, I mean, was it just you? You were in the field. I mean, you basically just lean and mean. Yeah, you can make anything work. Yeah. I was talking to a guy yesterday at Real Screen. He's like, "Oh, well, you, you know, you wouldn't be able to do a show for us because it's this." Month. I'm like, "Yeah, I, I could do that. Yeah. I know how to do it because I worked 14 years in news. Right. So I do know how to do it. Yeah. Digital stuff, like yeah. you know, I did a series that we won a Telly Award for, um, called Trendsetters of Tehran, where we snuck into Iran, shot it all on red camera, interviewed these women in their apartments who were telling us stuff that would get them arrested if they ever found out. And $50,000. And you make it work. Since you brought that up, I, I meant to ask you about it. I, I found it super compelling. I checked it out. Um, incredible idea. Super gritty. And a tough sell to, like, normal TV. So it, did that sound – like, how did that come about? Um, there are things – you know, what's good about digital is there are things that don't really hit the mark for cable and broadcast that you can find a lot of outlets for. The problem is, you know, for your passion projects or things that you think are really cool, the problem is, um, you know, the money. But you, you you can make it work if you know how to. If you spent the first 14 years of your career paying your dues and knowing how to turn, you know, do something, make it look beautiful for very little money, like, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. Was that idea, did that come to you from someone else? And then... Yeah, I um, I have a fixer who uh, is... Uh, I don't really know if I can really talk about that because he may get in trouble. <laughs> like a fixer? An Iranian fixer. Oh, yeah. wow. So now I'm shooting a lot of stuff in Iran, and I'm the only producer who can shoot stuff in Iran. Holy shit. Yeah, even Vice got kicked out. So like, Incredible. Yeah. How, you can't say how you found him either, I'm assuming. Yeah, because right. that would be, yeah. So he's your guy. That, mm-hmm. that and Amazing. And then where did this air? This aired on Refinery29. Oh, yeah, which is sort of a female-centric. Mm-hmm. Amy Emmerich runs that. Um, and then did they approve it beforehand and you went and shot it, or you kind of got it all and then brought it to them? The contracts work a little bit differently with the stuff. So, like, next month I'm shooting in North Korea. I'm shooting in Afghanistan. I'm shooting in all these dangerous places. So, legally, the contracts have to be a little bit different. And is that all for Refinery29? Those two are for Refinery29. I'm doing another thing in Iran for um, another big digital outlet. And so, yeah. That cannot be announced? No. But it's different. You know, it's not like a like a regular reality show or regular yeah. digital thing, like you're dealing with people's livelihoods. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like you can't just, you know, the deals have to look a certain way. So we know how to do all that. Incredible. and I'm Especially sure... when you shoot North Korea. Yeah, they don't let Americans in there. And can you say what that one's about? Same thing. Women, female empowerment. Good for you. I love that. And what are the economics, right? So this is what we're all trying to figure out because – you know, we'd all love to do stuff that's meaningful, that can find a home somewhere, people will watch, that feels edgy and new and actually smart and not stupid. Are you making money on this stuff? Or is this more like your, not your pro bono part of your company, but sort of like if we build up enough of a reputation on digital, eventually the Hulus and the Amazons will come. If you can retain the rights to television, 
that's a good deal, and then it'll make sense. And you won't make any money on the $50,000 from right. flying to Iran and doing all <laughs> that, but, but you'll retain the television rights for that. And you'll also get a reputation, and you'll also solidify your brand. So I'm very specific about our brand. Our brand is like very high-end looking content at, at, you know, I can, I would love high-end prices, but I understand the marketplace and some people, budgets are getting smaller and smaller. So, um, um, so that it helps build my brand of edgy content, going places where people say that's impossible to do. You can't do that. Well, you know, I like to do it because that gives me value. Yeah, so that's a perfect transition to your brand. And you are, um, after Osman, was that Breaking Amish then? Mm -hmm. So that that really sort of started to define your brand. Uh, And you talk about how that came about. I was reading an article about you kind of looking for a cooking show in Amish country, and it turned into something really different. Yeah, so I went down there for Food Network um, (laughs) on this chase, you know, just, you know, and it was for free. I, I, I had a general meeting with somebody at Food Network. You know, back when you're just starting your company, you have these general meetings, and they say, you know, we'd love this, and then I take that real serious, and I actually <laughs> go do it. You know, I still do that. Love if somebody it. even has like a little interest, like I'll go do it. I love it. Yeah, I love all of it. Yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, I go down to Amish country, and there's food, and all these Amish food people. They're boring. <laughs> I'm like, this is no more pies. This is boring. And and coming from news, you're like, well, tell me a story. Yeah, right? where's the action? If a story isn't the same story you've heard. All ye- all the time, like, oh, here's a story of an Amish lady who cooks pies and she's nice. And this- <laughs> I've heard that story, you know. Tell me the something I don't know. Did you know that there's all of these young kids who desperately want to leave? Um, well, that's a great story. So I saw that when I went down there when I was talking to Amish people. And I decided to make a tape, uh, fund that myself, and pitch it. And we pitched it everywhere, and only one person, this woman, Amy Savitsky at TLC. Love her. Shout out to Amy. Very, very smart executive. Saw it and said, here's how we're going to do it. And do this, do that, do that, do that, change it to this, change it to that. And uh, it went. It got bought by TLC um, when my first big show. And I think they were hesitant. They were scared because, you know, who am I? I've never done much, you know. Yeah. And the, um, and the premise was basically there's a, a year, I think, when, what, they're about 17 or 18, called Rumspringa, right? When they can decide to leave the Amish for a year, go out, get the rocks off, do whatever, and go get addicted to meth, and then they come back. Well, <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. but I know. I remember seeing a documentary um, years ago called, what the heck was it called? Devil's Backbone. Devil's Back, Devil's, what was it called? Devil's Playground. Devil's sorry. Playground. And it was incredible. And it was basically about that. And then I think that became Amish in the City, right, for CW or one of those places. Really interesting kind of social experiment like you were doing. And uh, and then these kids would then go back. Was for breaking Amish, they didn't go back, though, at the end? Or they, they did didn't. go back? Okay. They did go back and they make their final decision. And the, isn't the percentage rate like 90% of, of the ones that go back? Yeah, they all want to leave. I mean, it's it's a really fascinating. No, but I mean, the ones that then go back to Amish, right? Don't they? No, most of them choose to. In 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 the reality of this oh, is really? a lot of them leave. Interesting. And, and, and this is the reason the Amish adopt a lot of kids. So because they know a lot of them will leave. A lot of them will leave, and also wow. the gene pool gets so. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's not. You know, I tell people all the time with with the Amish that it's not the real story of them is a lot different than what's been portrayed. Yeah, well, 
so in terms of you getting all of those people, I mean, that's a big undertaking. And, like, what do you think it was about you that allowed you to kind of break through? Because those are insular communities. They don't want cameras there. They don't want producers and exploitation and all of that. Like, what made them trust you? You have to work. You have to go down. So if a network gives me a casting assignment, I work. I don't hire out some kid uh, to go and find me 10 candidates. That's not going to work. I mean, it works sometimes if it's a dating show or something like that. Right, right. But for the most part, I don't believe in that. I believe in doing the work and working hard and going to the place. So I've casted Amish people. I've casted um, people in various cults. polygamists, um, Eskimos, um, you name it. Yeah. And I go there and I talk to them. Um, I'll drive on it. I'll take a train cross country and just talk to people and find, you know, we took a train once, my wife and I, and talked to Seventh-day Adventists. Wow. Developed a show about them. Amazing. That's like the journalist in you. Like you have a real curiosity about people. Yeah. And if it's a challenge, if it's a challenge, uh, like, I bet you can't find this. Right. Well, I bet you I can. And here it is. And yeah. now, you know, like, I love that. Yeah. I love that. All right. So you get that show going for TLC. Then how does Amish Mafia come about? So at the same time I was develop- I, I saw all these kids who wanted to leave the Amish community. I also was driving around the Amish community and I uh, with my I had like a little Amish fixer with me. <laughs> you love your fixers. They're great. <laughs> and uh, I said... Uh, I noticed that the houses, some of them were nicer than others, which struck me as weird in the Amish community. There's right? Amish McMansions? There are. <laughs> so I said, who lives in that house? And like, oh, that's the bishop. He's, you know, the, the, the leader of the community. And who lives in that house? They're like, oh, that's the guy in charge of Amish aid. I said, well, what's Amish aid? And Amish aid is everyone tithes like 10% of their uh, salary and gives it to one Amish guy in cash who holds all of it. So I'm thinking to myself, well, that can't be on the up and up. Right. It doesn't sound kosher. Even if it's Amish. Like, someone's getting, you know, someone's getting a Greased. pile of cash. Yeah. yeah. And if you get in an accident, it's, he's like the insurance agent. If you get in an accident, he, you know, comes out of the Amish aid. Right. So I started talking to these guys who were the heads of Amish aid and the, and the, the sons and daughters of those people, and they were kind of the Amish elite. So I started pitching that. And pitched that around, and a woman named Lily Newmeyer at A and E at the time, yeah. who's another really smart. I got lucky; like yeah, these you, people are smart. Well, yeah. So, um, she changed it to Amish Mafia and switched the title, and I developed it for A and E. I was just gonna say, wait, this story isn't linear, but yeah, I developed it for A and E. Um, I and bet they, they kicked themselves. Um, they passed at the end. <laughs> um, not, I think they were all disappointed, and they were really. Smart people there. Why did they pass? I don't know. I think, you know, it's Amish Mafia, right? You have to have a certain amount of, uh, it's a big swing. Yeah, they take big swings, though. Well, they passed on that, and then we sold it the next day to um, Dolores Gavin and this guy Matt Kelly at Discovery Channel. Yep. Who also were really good executives. Yeah, so backing up a minute. So when it was, um, when you developed developed it with A&E, was it the same? Because I really look at that show as revolutionizing a new genre. I mean, it was scripted reality, but this was, you know, gritty stuff that 
for a long time people were like, what am I what am I seeing? What is this? Like, is it real? Is it? And, and that was kind of amazing to keep people guessing. And, you know, it comes out later. It's sort of like loosely real. But, you know, it's it's scripted reality. So was that the way it was developed for A&E or did that come later? It. Um, OK, so all the stories in there are true. OK. But you can't show real crimes on TV. You right. can't film that. Right. So a lot of that's reenacted as well. So a lot of them are like based on the legend of this or that yeah. or the other thing. So I think had the show uh, been on A&E, it would have been a little bit different. Still yeah. would have been successful, but it would have been a little different. Um, Discovery took it in a, a little bit different direction, but... You know, 17 million people watched Amish Mafia the first week it was on. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, if people don't know, you don't have cable numbers like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think Duck Dynasty got numbers like that. Well, the 17 million is adding up all the repeats the first season, the first week. Okay. Uh, it's still Amish Mafia is the highest rated first season show in the history of Discovery Channel. And Breaking Amish is the highest rated first season show in the history of TLC still. So how are they going to fit all of that on your tombstone, though? That's long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So but yeah, that's how those shows got started. And those shows were magical. And when you produce a show first season and you're lucky enough to work with, you know, Matt Kelly at Discovery Channel, this is woman at TLC named Wendy Douglas, who's like awesome. Like you really have to be lucky to have a success. Everything has to fall in place. You know, everything has to fall in place. And and you have a smart executive who buys it, and then your current executive is smart, and, you know, then you, you've got a good shot. All I ever wanted was a shot. And I tell people this all the time when I pitch them. If you give me a shot on, you know, one night, you give me that first episode, that's all I want is that shot because I know what I'm capable of, and I know I can create a story that people have never seen. I can devise a look people have never seen like we did with Amish Mafia, and I can do that. And so I'm really passionate about it. So well, and now I mean, you have the goods to back it up. I'm sure when you're, you know, you can say that when you're starting, but if you don't have it, so it's like take a chance on me. But now it's just like, of course, people will know that, and and you've proven it. And I'm sure after Amish Mafia hit the roof, you were probably like the hottest girl at the prom, right? Yeah, so, we so sold a lot of shows that year. <laughs> so uh, what came? Like, what was the mountain effect after that? What came in quick succession? Um, a lot. So we've sold about. <laughs> 50 million to 60, 50, a little over $50 million worth of content since then. Incredible. Um, which is just me and my wife. Amazing. Yeah. And that, and before we go on, like, I was going to ask you about that in terms, because you say, you know, how hands on you are. When you were doing Amish Mafia, how, were you super involved in the actual production of the show, at least in the first season? First season, I directed it. Wow. So you were there. I mean, you basically weren't, that was it. You were. First season of Breaking Amish, I directed that, and my wife, Shannon, show ran it. Incredible. Mm-hmm. So everything else had to kind of hit the brakes to do it. I mean, you were you were well. Those it. were our only two shows, right? So you were free to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you had healthy budgets and were able to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. And uh, since then, um, you know, look, you have to kind of pick and choose which shows you get involved in. So right now, my wife is doing a, a Lifetime movie that she wrote and devised, and that's being shot right now, and she's on set for that. Is so. she directing it too? No, 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 no. Okay. We hired a director, a okay. horror movie director to do that. Yeah. That's exciting. That's a completely new thing for you guys, right? Scripted is new for us, but we're we're having a lot of success at it. So we have that. We have a couple of scripted pilots elsewhere and a lot of other things in development. And the same theory applies to that. So the same theory, the economics of it apply. So who's going to give me a chance to do a scripted show? No one, right? But if I come in with a good story and a good budget and I can prove myself, um, well, then... 
that'll be good. So that's my plan, and, and it's starting to work. Do you see the company as going more in that direction, or do you want to always have Unscripted as the engine that fuels it? I don't want to just say I'm doing this or I'm doing that or I'm doing that because a story is a story is a story is a story. And whatever that makes, you know, if it's a digital story, if it's a reality show, if it's a scripted thing, yeah, I'll do I'll do whatever. I really – I don't care what it is. I don't care what the network is. I don't really care. I just want to be able to tell a story. So in terms of your brand, and, you know, you said this before, um, and your brand is sort of like edgy, premium content that tells a story that feels like – taking a chance, you know, that it's not something you've seen before. I mean, would you do, you know, another cooking show or a house flipping show or, you know, something that's a little bit more scripts, lighter fare, 52 episodes a year? I would love to. <laughs> I would love to. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? And But, you know, I think in order for me to do it, it would have to be – in order. It, look, I would do any show. But in order for them to buy something from me with me, they probably feel more comfortable if it was a little bit off. Like if it was skewed a little bit. Right. It had a your t- your unique take on it. Right. So when Vanilla Ice came out, they had offered me that show because I had just come off Breaking Amish and Return to Amish. Right. And I had turned that down. Because that was too off-brand? No. Because I didn't want to make Discovery Channel angry at me by doing another Amish show on another network. Got it. So I turned that down, which probably shouldn't have. That's a great show. Isn't that still going? It's a great show. <laughs> right. And they probably made it was probably good for that. I mean, maybe it not, wouldn't have been great if I had done it, but yeah, I mean, you know. Could that have been the type of thing where you went to Discovery and had the conversation, or you just didn't even want to go there? No, I didn't want to go there. Right. No, no. I'm always so like thankful right. <laughs> for everything. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to piss Rock anybody the off. Book. It's no. hard. No. And I'm sure you do sometimes. I mean, it's just by virtue of being in the business and work, you know, working all, all the time, you're going to piss someone off by accident, even if you don't mean to. So if you have to. You know you could, and you're aware of it. You probably should just steer clear. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, how is it working with Shannon? I can't imagine for the life of me working with my husband every day. We, we literally kill each other. It's good. <laughs> it's good because you know we're, we're married, obviously, and um, she's good. So she's really good at her right. Job. You're not going to fire her. <laughs> yeah, it's like well, I can't really argue. I mean, I can argue. We get in arguments about TV stuff and shows all the time, but she knows what she's doing, right? And she's responsible for a lot of the success of the company. She sold all our scripted stuff, and she did Breaking Amish, and so like you know, she's smart. Where are the clashes? Like, what are where do you have different points of view on things? Uh, it's usually with staff. You know, yeah. or like, I don't like this guy. I do like this guy. I don't like, you know, this person's good. This person's not yeah. good, whatever. You know, usually stuff like that. Um, pitches, styles of pitching. Uh, she may not like the way I pitch things sometimes and, you know, or reprimand me for something or something stupid I said in a room or something like that, you know. Um, Who or, usually does take the lead in the pitches is kind of equal or? She usually does some. It depends what it is. Okay. I'm usually out more pitching now these days because we have 20 month old twins. So I'm usually out pitching quite often, and uh, and she'll either join by phone or or whatnot. I'm sure that's hard. That's probably changed things too, because you guys, like you said, you jump on a train, you'd go wherever. I mean, you can't really do that with twins. No, you can't. <laughs> Your you life can't. is over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's also just begun. Right. So has that. Um, 
Has that been a great thing? I mean, I, I guess you have to say yes, right? Having kids? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, no, it is. In real life, it is. You know, I'm so like, like you see like your kids and you're, 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 my son, he looks like me. I have a boy and a girl. Yeah. He looks like me. He acts like me. He likes all the same food I like. <laughs> and he's happy. And I'm like, you know, you work in TV, sometimes you get bitter. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know about that. <laughs> Not me. And... He's look at my son and how happy he is. I'm like, well, he's just like me, and that's like what I'm supposed to be like. Aww. You know, that's true. They do. They bring you back to earth. So has it changed? Um, I don't think it, it hasn't changed the momentum, and clearly you guys are killing it. But has it changed the way that you look at stuff, or in terms of the goals for the company now that you have kids, as opposed to kind of just like two people out in the world? Yeah, you want to sell your company. You want to be in part of those people that sell your company. <laughs> right. You know what I you mean? Want that beach house? Yeah, yeah. And that—that we've come close to that, uh, but but um, turned it down because why? Didn't turn anything down. Okay, just came close. Got and um, I've decided not to think about that as much. Yeah, yeah. Good. Because I'll drive myself insane, and it'll also ruin my development. It'll make me think of things that I don't. You know, make when you start thinking of like, oh, this will sell. It won't. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Every time I've shown a tape to an agent, they always will say, the ones that have sold have been ones that say that the agent will say, like, eh, you're not going to sell that. They did Amish in the City. You're not going to sell that. And you're not going to sell that. You know, Or a tape that they'll really like, and it doesn't end up selling. I, I know. So where, what's your analysis? Well, I don't Fuck know. The agents? No, 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 no. Because <laughs> they're very love helpful. Them. No, they're very helpful. I mean, right. especially with deals and right. setting up meetings. No, but and all it, that. right. But it just shows that it's all subjective, and you never know. And no you never one. know. It's not just an agent thing. Right. No one knows. You know, I mean, the things that we all have our babies, right? The ones that are never going to be dead because they're going to sit on the bottom of the whiteboard because you're going to hope that one day they're going to get resurrected or the time will be right or you know someone at the meeting will go, hey, did you ever sell that? You know. And it doesn't mostly work, but there are some really special ones that, for whatever reason, don't sell. I mean, do you have? I'm sure you have some. Oh God, yeah. What's tons. one? What's one that you can actually talk about that's like kills you that it didn't sell? Um, I had a show um, that I love called Midgelanies. Don't say midget vigilantes. <laughs> and it was a group of little people okay. who opened up a little bit of a business, and they would defend the rights of other little people. So if you were in a shopping... And it never occurred to me until I talked to them that this all makes sense. Like, they say, like, sometimes we go to the shopping mall and, like, somebody takes pictures of us and or, or back when we were in high school, they would shove us in a locker and all this stuff. So these tough guy uh, little people... Um, would then defend the rights of people. So if you slighted, if a tall person slighted a little person, they would go and, and beat the shit out of the. Uh, I or they'd love blow up that. his car. They would <laughs> blow up his car. Or they would do something really messed up. It's like um, midget mafia. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, perfectly on brand. It's actually kind of, I love that. David and Goliath, literally. I sold it to, to, CM, to CMT. Yes. Totally. To Joe. I love, oh, he probably was all over that. And, um, you know, they passed on it for, they loved it, but. Too nervous. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I could see it. All right. See, if anyone's listening, you got to buy Midgelantes. And where, like physically, where is this place? Austin, Texas. So 
In terms of where you guys want to go as a company, I know you're saying, you know, you don't want to think about being bought. And I really get that. I think that's smart. And it's just like do the work, right? Like mm-hmm. you guys are you're blowing up. You're going in all the right directions where a company in 2016 should be, in my opinion. Um, if you think of five years from now, like do you want to be down there doing casting tapes in, you know, Lancaster? Do you like where do you? Well, maybe not Lancaster, but like, <laughs> uh, you know, somewhere. Yeah. Like you still want to be in the trend. You love it. You I truly- do. I don't think you could do it if you – I mean, I, that's how I feel. It's like if you don't have the passion, you will quickly die on the vine. I'm not a businessman. You know, yeah. like I am a television producer and yeah. I create content 24 hours a day and I love it. You need a very thick skin to work in this business. And if you aren't used to rejection, um, you're going to get rejected almost all the time. Like everybody, even people who are really successful, even great producers like Craig Poligian, and he didn't probably doesn't sell. He's an awesome producer, but he doesn't sell everything he, you know. So, like, you know, it's just the way it is. Yeah. And, and, and you roll on to the next idea. If you only have one idea, well, yeah. But if you have ideas coming every day and you think it's like a comedian, right? Like a comedian will have his jokes, but if one bombs, he scraps it and he has more material. He doesn't go off the same 60 minutes for five years. He goes off a new, Louis C.K. does new, fresh stuff every year. You have to be like that if you're developing yeah. stuff. You need you need new material all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can't get attached to any one idea because it probably will get rejected. I mean, that's why you're right. You have to have so many things that are good, not schlock, because then none of them will sell. But let's say, you know, five good ideas, and maybe if you're lucky, one of those will sell, but they have to be five really good ideas. So I I agree. And the thick skin thing, man, I learned that early. Oof. It's brutal. It's like it's like being an actor. Except it isn't personal in the sense that it's not like you're ugly, you're fat, you're not, you know, I mean, you it really is not about you. Most of the, hopefully not. Mm-hmm. It's about the idea doesn't work for whatever reason. But you feel deflated nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough business. The ups and the downs. The downs are bad, but the ups are some of the greatest joys you'll ever have or could experience. Like when those ratings come out at 4.30 or if it's a Sunday night show, 11.30, you're like on a Tuesday and you're like, you know, it's awesome if it's good. It's yeah. awesome. It's 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 elation. Mm-hmm. It's like how you feel back in the news day when you had ten live feeds up at once and they're all working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember that feeling of like, <laughs> I can't believe not a single line is down and I have ten people talking to each other live. It's so why did you stop being a reporter? I can see you as a reporter. Oh, why did God. you stop being a reporter? Because I'm too bossy. I don't like taking orders from anybody. I don't like spending an inordinate amount of time on my hair and makeup. And I felt like an idiot. I felt like a poser. It didn't feel – I felt like I was impersonating a reporter. It was never natural to me. Um, and I like telling people what to do. And so you were on air in Bangor and in Baltimore? No. Well, in Baltimore, um, I let it be known that I did have you know some on-air experience if they ever wanted to use me and they had no desire. <laughs> what channel was so that? So I was at the Fox affiliate first and then I was at C- um, CBS affiliate. Was it? It was BAL, whatever that was at the time. I can't, you know, they switched over so many times. But it was great. You're right. It's an amazing training ground. And I do tend to have a bond with people that in the business that have that training. First of all, you learn how to write. How many people in this business have no clue how to write? Nobody. That, that's the other thing. Learning how <laughs> to write a treatment is a television treatment or a reality show treatment um, is crucial. It's vital. And it can become a homework assignment if you're not good at it. 
the 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 tone that it takes on your on your psyche will be that of like um you know like a homework assignment like i don't want to do this i'm dreading this that shouldn't be the feeling because you should be able to know how to write and to relay your story not just visually but um uh by, uh, through writing as well yeah and that training of you know write like you're talking to a four-year-old or a fourth grader, you know, as silly as it sounds, you know, it really does have to be like crisp, short sentences that make sense. I mean, I can't tell you, I think we've talked about this before because I did a little writing for you, uh, the amount of people that um, can't spell, can't put a grammatically correct sentence together, who've went, who've gone to college, who've went to college, there you go, I'm one of them. Um, It's disheartening. And depressing. Yeah. So that's the problem. But I mean, to be a really good developer in this business yeah. and to sell shows, you need to know how to write. And even when you sell the show, you're going to have to write up a treatment of an episodic treatment that needs to be written well, too. Oh, you mean network executives read those? Yeah, yeah I hope so. I think so. <laughs> you know, some of them. Some of them. All right. So every every podcast, uh, I do the sort of, you know, actor studio questions that I try to get everybody to answer so that... Gravitas. <gasps> Gravitas. Yeah. Is that your favorite word? <laughs> um, that's funny. The first question is, what is your proudest accomplishment? Other than your twins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. TV-wise, uh, when I was 19, I won a, a local Emmy, and I wasn't old enough to go out and celebrate with the guys. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you have a fake license? No. And uh, uh, I had to go home, and it was not. It was, but it was It was my project. I showed my mom, and I went to McDonald's. Like It was just like That's adorable. That. What is your biggest regret? My biggest regret was not was probably the way I started my career in news, because I think if I had just known what I was doing and took a chance and moved to Los Angeles um, back in 1991 or 90, like, and just maybe worked as an assistant or something, or uh, I think I would have had more success. I wouldn't have had to have struggled for, you know, 14 years. You know, I wouldn't have had to, like, pay those dues. Those dues are hard. They are hard, but, you know, and that's going to sound super cheesy, but I also feel like... That was your journey. Maybe you wouldn't have met Shannon. No. Oh yeah, no, totally. I wouldn't you have know? met my wife. But I mean, like, it wasn't necessarily your career journey. Mm. It was a lot. Fourteen years is a long time. I was ready. I'd been preparing to develop and create television shows since the time I was two years old. You know, right. like, I've been watching TV <laughs> with the intent of doing it. One right. Day. So it was really like twenty-five years. <laughs> yeah, like I've been serious about this for my whole life. Yeah. So I wish there was a faster. But look, now everything's great. Amazing. And you've been successful, so it was worth the, worth the slog. Um, what's the craziest show that you've ever been pitched, like by an outside producer or talent? I've never been pitched anything. I, I don't take that many outside pitches. Okay. Um, I really don't. Everything that we've sold has been internal. Nice. Neither me or my wife has created. Which is great producers out there because then you don't have to pay anybody third-party fees. I would pay them. Right. I just <laughs> there hasn't been anything good enough. Well, yeah, you'd be crazy not to take an outside. Pit. I I take them all the time, but none of right. them have been crazy enough for me to you know to take. Got it. So, what are the three reality shows that you love right now that you're watching? That I watch? Yeah. Um, I watch. Well, I think the greatest reality show of all time was Orange County, the last Real Housewives of Orange County that just aired. Did you watch it? Hello, Brooks, having cancer or not cancer? I think it was the best reality show. Then you're not watching the season of Real Housewives of New York. No, I haven't started yet. No. Oh, Emma Gia. Oh, really? It's other level. It blows, and I loved last season of Orange County, and it blows that one out of the water. 
Well, I'd have to see that about that because I thought that the last <laughs> season of Real Housewives of Orange County was the best reality show that's been on ever. I anyway. like you're a straight man watching Housewives. That well, wait to hear the other shows I watched. <laughs> no. I watched The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. Uh, <laughs> Shannon, what have you done to him? I watched um, I love Marriage it. Boot Camp. Oh, I like that. Stop. You are such a yeah, chick. I like that. Um, and I watch a ton of news and sports. But uh, like, hey, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Football's the best. But I think those three shows I like a lot. They're well done. Now, here's the thing about The Bachelor. What keeps you watching year after year? Don't you want to just throw something into the TV? Doesn't Or you just sop it up? I like it. I get to watch it with my wife, which because normally I'm watching sports right, or something, right. and like this is the one thing other than movies that we can watch together, you know. So it's kind of like a thing that uh, we do together. And what made you love last season of of Orange County so much? The slow burn of that whole story. It was produced really well and perfectly. It was really well produced television, and well told and entertaining. Just as a non TV person, like yeah. watching that, it was just great. I'm going to have those guys on. I love um, the Evolution guys. Oh, I don't cool. Know if you know them. Um, do you think that all of those women are mentally ill? Which ones? Orange County Housewives. Well, I mean, you have to be a little bit. No, I don't mean like a little. Coo- I mean, like, do if you go through the list, like Vicky, Tamara, like, do um, the one whose husband cheated. Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's that one? Oh, God. Who had an. Uh, Shannon. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, I mean,. They're not normal people. Uh, I, I don't just mean for reality people. To me, like, they all have a screw loose. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> right, the best. That's well, great. Right. It's fantastic. Right. I remember once getting a mandate from Bravo, and it was something like, we do better with characters who are not self-aware. <laughs> like, that <laughs> yeah. just puts it exactly what yeah. it is. That, that's a sum Those, They have the best, some of the best shows on TV. Like, We's doing really great shows. Yeah. Bravo's doing great shows. Like, I love all of them. Yeah, I like sports documentaries. Yeah, like those HBO ones. Yeah, and like, I, well, that's I love actually those. interesting because I'm not a big sports person, but I love documentaries. So that speaks to you know I always say about behind the music, like who knew I love Metallica. Like if if you tell a great story, yes. it doesn't matter what you're watching. It's fascinating. I'm watching a show now on Nat Geo called Missing Dial, a company that I'm working with. We're involved in the show. It's not it's not my kind of show. It's like they're looking for this. Roman Dio, who's an explorer, his son disappeared in Costa Rica, and they're looking for him, and it's sort of an active investigation. But it's so well done, and it's really gritty, and the storytelling is really raw. It has me. And it's a mystery, and I love a good mystery. So if you can hook into just the storytelling, like, any show becomes watchable, even if you think it's not your bag, which is probably why I would love Game of Thrones, but I don't watch it. Yeah, I don't watch Game of Thrones either. Because I don't like the idea of it, but everyone's like, no, 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 really, you would love it. I know. Here's my fear. It's the same reason I don't get an Xbox. <laughs> like I will get too obsessed. Yeah, totally. And I don't oh, want I will. to. I don't want that detracting from things for me. I watch a lot of scripted stuff. Do you watch a family on ABC? They canceled it. Yeah, it was awesome. Didn't hook into it. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, and I like Joan Allen, but it didn't. No, didn't grab me. And I'll watch all those kinds of shows, but that one didn't. And that didn't. one on Hulu about the Kennedy assassination, the time travel one. Oh, no, I heard it's good. James Franco. It's yeah. fantastic. Okay. I like, yeah, I like most of my scripted stuff are comedy. Like, I love a good, you know, I watch a lot of comedy. Um, but I also, I, wa- I watch some good, like, I'm watching, I'm into Bloodline right now on Netflix. Um, I like I like the Amazon, you know, like, I mm-hmm. like the, the OTT. Because mm-hmm. I think it's just good, good stuff. 
I was watching something last night. What was it? And I thought, like, I can't. Oh, Unreal. Have you seen Unreal? No, but that's unlike you time. Will that's supposed lo- to be great. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Second season, right? Yeah, but yeah. you can probably binge the first. Mandatory. Mm-hmm. You and Shannon go home. Go back to New York. Yeah. Get that on the DVR. <laughs> All right. Do you feel like we're we're complete here? Do you? <laughs> do you? I do. I feel like, yeah. I okay. feel like we got it all. It Does all this done. part get edited out? That depends. Depends oh, okay. how, how witty we are. Oh, all right. <laughs> I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Thank you.